Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Saturday, May the 14th, 2022. It is currently 4.19 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from Abilene, Texas. Let's begin with a very important question, and I want you to really think about this. Now, when I when I first decided to start this program with the following question, I almost stopped, and I said, you know what? If I ask this question, everyone's just going to go, well, the answer is simple. It, it's, 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 it's obvious. So, the, and because I know most people are going to say it's simple, it's obvious, then I had to ask myself, well, then is the question really going to have any benefit? So I guess what I need you to do is I need you to really, really think about it. Don't go with your first initial thought because you're, even though your first, first initial thought may be true in theory, I want you to think about what is true in reality, okay? A lot of times when dealing with theology or doctrine or the Bible or Christianity, I think a lot of people have a lot of great theoretical ideas. Like, here's what I, here's what I believe. Here's what I, here's what I know. And they say it so dogmatically, such with a, a self-righteous, assur- you know, assurance, and they, they just seem so sure of themselves. But a lot of times when you get away from the theoretical, you get away from them just speaking, and you kind of get down to what's practical, you see that maybe what's in theory doesn't ever make it down to what's practical. Or you could say it this way. A lot of time what, what we say, what we claim in theory has very little to do with the reality in which we live. And and I and I know people always deny that, but I just think that there are, there's lots of examples we could go into, but I think there's some truth to it. So I want you to think about the reality, not what you know, not what you think theoretically, not what you think the right answer is supposed to be, but in practice. Are you ready? Here we go. I want you I want you to listen carefully. How do you come to theological conclusions? How do you arrive at theological conclusions? Like you may start off a little confused. You're trying to figure it out. But how do you work and work and work until you're like, here it is. Here is how I have arrived at this theological conclusion. And this is my final answer. Here's my conclusion. Here's what I believe is theological truth. What what do you use to arrive at that conclusion? What do you use to arrive at that conclusion? Now, many are going to say, well, it's obvious. It's scripture and scripture alone. All right, in fact, let's, let's read from the London Baptist Confession of Faith. Let's see if they provide what, how, what, what, they, what they believe in theory, what they believe should... Uh, should be the thing that leads us to a theological conclusion. All right, here we go. All right, the London Baptist Confession of Faith, chapter one. The Holy Scripture is the only sufficient, certain, and infallible rule of all saving knowledge, faith, and obedience, although the light of nature and the works of creation and providence do so far manifest the goodness, wisdom, and power of God as to leave men inexcusable, yet are they not sufficient 
to give that knowledge of God and his will, which is necessary unto, unto salvation. Therefore, it pleased the Lord at sundry times and in diverse manners to reveal himself and to declare that his will unto his church and afterwards for the better preserving and propagating of the truth and for the more establishment and comfort of the church against the corruption of the flesh, the malice of Satan and of the world to commit the same holy unto writing, which maketh the holy scriptures to be the most necessary. Those former ways of God revealing his will unto his people have now ceased. So according to this, it's the scriptures that's the only sufficient, certain, and infallible rule of all saving knowledge, faith, and obedience. The scripture is the only sufficient, certain, infallible rule of saving knowledge and faith. And again, I'll read the last part. The Holy Scriptures then become most necessary because the former ways of God revealing his will unto his people have completely now ceased. And I'm, I'm adding the word completely there. Has now, has now ceased. So according to that, we, we, we would come up with the idea of what we sometimes refer to as sola scriptura or scripture alone. It's the scriptures alone. They are the final authority. They are what we turn to. They are how we come to a conclusion. But not everyone is always held to that idea. And they believe that there are at least four sources, four different sources that should be used to arrive at a theological conclusion. And we're going to look at this method where four sources are used. And this method is known as the Wesleyan quadrilateral. The Wesleyan quadrilateral. The Wesleyan quadrilateral. All right. Wesleyan, W-E-S-L-E-Y-A-N, quadrilateral, Q-U-A-D-R-I, L-A-T-E-R-A-L, the Wesleyan Quadrilateral. Maybe you've heard of it, maybe you haven't, but the Wesleyan Quadrilateral says there are four sources that we are to look to to arrive at a theological conclusion. Now, it's very important to know about the Wesleyan Quadrilateral, one, because it's significant, the significance it plays in church history, but this is also just a very important reminder, and I want you to hear me out. So many times within the church, within Christianity, it can, it, it can be happening on social media, it can be happening anywhere. Christians are arguing and fighting with one another. And so many times I say this, I, in fact, I say it so many times, many of you are tired of it. So many times the issue we're fighting over is really not the issue. And they're really, we're wasting our time arguing about it because there's always deeper questions like, well, what hermeneutical method are you using? versus what hermeneutical method I'm using, because if we can't agree on the hermeneutical method we're utilizing to interpret these scriptures, we can never come to a conclusion. Not only that, in this particular case, what are you using to come to your theological conclusion versus what I'm using to come to my theological conclusion? Because if you're using four sources and I'm using one, well, we've got to deal with these foundational issues before we ever get to the issues we're arguing and fighting about. Everyone wants to argue and fight without dealing with the foundational issues. Therefore, we can never come to a conclusion. We're speaking completely different languages. We're using completely different methods. Therefore, it just leads to, well, a never-ending never source of chaos, struggle, fight, and division. We've got to think about it 
I, 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 and get to these deeper issues. So today, this afternoon, it's all about the Westland Quadrilateral. That's all, what, what it's all what's going to be about. I'm just going to introduce this to you. And then you can see if you've been influenced by it, because a lot of a lot of times people are like, well, I've never heard of the Wesleyan Quadrilateral. I just use the Bible and the Bible alone. And then you'll listen to someone start talking. And you're like, really? <laughs> Sounds like you're using the, using the Wesleyan Quadrilateral. And they're like, ha, I don't even know what that is. Ignorance of it does not negate its influence upon you. Okay. So many times people are like, I don't need to know this stuff. Doesn't mean it's not going to influence you. All right. So why are we going to talk about the Wesleyan Quadrilateral? Well, over the past couple of days, I spent, I can't say a large amount of time, but I spent some time watching lectures from the Theos Conference. Now, the Theos Conference was an online conference that was free, and I watched a number of lectures. And one of the ones that I was very interested in, and this happened on the first day, was the theology of Azusa Street. And I'm like, ooh, that sounds like an interesting lecture of the theology of Azusa Street. Now, if you don't know what Azusa Street is in church history, that's Azusa Street is referring to the Azusa Street Revival. It was a historic series of revival meetings that took place in Los Angeles, California. It was led by William J. Seymour, an African-American preacher. The revival began on April the 9th, 1906, and continued to somewhere around 1915. Right, the way it supposedly started, according to one source, on the night of April the ninth, nineteen o six, Seymour and seven men were waiting on God on Bonnie Bray Street when suddenly, as though hit by a bolt of lightning, they were knocked from their chairs to the floor, and the other seven men began to speak in tongues and shout out loud, praising. That's supposedly how the Azusa Street revival began. Again, and started on April the ninth. 1906 and went all the way to close to 1915. The Azusa Street Revival, very critical moment in church history. In some ways, you can kind of say there's no way to deny a large portion of the modern day charismatic movement finds its roots and its origins in the Azusa Street Revival. This is a significant revival. So when I saw at the Theos Conference, there was going to be a lecture on the theology of the Azusa Street Revival, they had my attention. Now, I thought they were going to say, you know, here here's, was the theolo- their, their theology of Christ. Here was their theology of salvation. But the lecture really didn't do that very much. The person giving the lecture was a, a, a woman, a younger woman, who clearly was a Pentecostal charismatic. And so she viewed the theology of Azusa Street or the Azusa Street revival is obviously something wonderful, something great, a move of God. It was awesome. It was amazing. Now she did give some theological particulars of Azusa Street, but she didn't really just break it down the way I thought it was going to be broken down. However, she did mention that Azusa Street borrowed a certain method of coming to theological conclusions. And this method was, well, dated back to John Wesley. Now, remember, Azusa Street begins in 1906. John Wesley uh, lived from 1703 to 1791. All right, so 1906. Okay, so it's it's far removed from, from the 1700s, obviously. And again, John Wesley, 1703 
1791. So, so John Wesley's there in the 1700s. Azusa Street starts in the 1900s, but it seems that they took from John Wesley this, well, Wesleyan quadrilateral. They they borrowed it, and this was somewhat, I guess, used or was present within how the people at Azusa Street came to theological conclusions. Now, if you don't know about John Wesley, he was an 18th century Anglican clergyman and Christian theologian who was an early leader in the Methodist, um, my uh, notes are going crazy here, uh, in the Methodist movement. You probably would, I'm assuming everyone would understand John Wesley's connection to the Methodist movement. Now, John Wesley used four different sources and coming to theological conclusions. So John Wesley used four different sources to come to a theological conclusion. And this method, this idea, I guess was present at Azusa Street or at least in some of the leaders. All right. Now, I said some people would say the way I come to a theological conclusion is the Bible and the Bible alone, which sounds good. But a lot of times in practice, Something else is going on because you can, you'll, you'll, they'll, they'll, they'll give you their theological conclusion. like, it's in the word of God. And you'll be like, well, I'm not quite sure where you find that. And then they'll, they'll find a verse somewhere. Say, it's right there. And you'll be like, you're saying that verse <laughs> proves your conclusion and that verse alone. And you, you sometimes, or, or you'll be like, Wait, I don't even see an example of it anywhere in the Bible. It doesn't matter. It's there. You just don't know how to read. So a lot of people claim it's scripture. <laughs> Sometimes you have to wonder. But I, I think the Wesleyan quadrilateral has probably had a, more, a much broader influence within Christianity, even amongst people who don't have any clue what it is. So let me ask you again, how do you come to your theological conclusions? It appears Azusa Street, the leaders there, were borrowing from Wesley. And he, again, used four different sources in coming to a theological conclusion. These sources were, list, were first uh, referred to as the Wesleyan Quadrilateral in 1964. Now, stop right here. This is very important. Wesley used four sources, but at that time, it was not known as the Wesleyan Quadrilateral. It wasn't known as that. It was just, here's the four sources, Right. Nobody called it the Wesleyan Quadrilateral. Nobody would have had a clue what that was at that time because nobody had called it the Quadrilateral until um, Albert C. Outler uh, in 1964 referred to it as that way in a, in a collection of Wesleyan works edited by Outler uh, entitled simply John Wesley. So it was in that work that he referred to this as the Wesleyan Quadrilateral. So in History, it wouldn't have been referred to that. So we use it now in present times, the Wesleyan quadrilateral, to simply refer to the fact that Wesley used four different sources to come to theological conclusions. Right? Very important to realize. These four sources were, are you ready? Here we go. Number one, scripture. Number two, tradition. Number three, reason. Number four, experience. Scripture, tradition, reason, and experience. 
Now, some of you may immediately go, absolutely not. That's wrong. That's wrong. There shouldn't be these four sources. It should be the Bible alone. Others of you may go, well, you know, if I really think about this, I kind of use these four as well. Because my first reaction was like, well, you know what? I, I don't know if I agree. Then I start thinking there's some, there's some situations that have arisen that I've had to deal with theologically that I th- think I've used all four of these in some way, shape, or form. So is this a good system? Is this a bad system? What should we make of it? Well, there, there's there's a very important controversy that we're going to have to uncover here because I think it's important, all right? And I'm, and I'm going to skip down to this, all right? And it is inserting, it is in, it's interesting, I should say, it is interesting to note the reflection of Albert Outler, remember the one who came up with the term, the Wesleyan quadrilateral in, what, 1964? He had a reflection on this formulation, He said, again, this is Albert Outler, there is one phrase I wish I had never used, the Wesleyan quadrilateral. He wished he would have never come up with the term. He wished he never would have coined the term. He does not like the term. And here's the reason why. I want you to listen to me here, right? Because this is important. He goes, uh, it has created the wrong image in the minds of so many people, and I'm sure it will lead to all kinds of controversy. The problem he anticipated comes when the quadrilateral is seen as equilateral. In other words, um, and this is very important, you, you go from the quadrilateral, and some people say, okay, here's four sources. They're going to look at them as being equal, equilateral. All of them are equal. So all four sources for authority and decisions are seen as equally weighted. In other words, what a lot of people, when they hear the Wesleyan quadrilateral, like, wait a minute, they're going to use scripture, tradition, um, scripture, tradition, reason, and experience. Well, that's, that's making these all equal. But the person who coined the term said that would be a wrong way of understanding. It wasn't that these were all seen as equal, but they were all sources utilized to come to a theological conclusion. So, so let, let me at least clarify this and ask you, th- let me ask you this question. If we have scripture, tradition, reason, and experience, but we do not all give them equal weight or equal authority or equal power, could that then be very useful in coming to a theological conclusion? I, th- I think that's a good question. This is what they. This is what was stated here. Right. Um, the problem he anticipated comes when the quadrilateral is seen as equilateral, and all four sources for authority and decision making are seen as equally weighted. This was not Outler's intent, nor Wesley's method. Rather, Scripture is to be viewed as the centerpiece from which the other sources are suspended. So that that's what Wesley would have of more have been given the idea that hey, it's it's Scripture is the centerpiece, but the other sources are just suspended from this or, or and as the way they describe it here. Um, Scripture is the centerpiece from which the other sources are suspended. The other other sources hang or suspended to the scriptures, but the scriptures are the primary source. 
That sounds good. Now, remember what I said? A lot of people, in theory, say, it's just the Bible alone. But in reality, there may be a lot of things influencing how they came to a theological conclusion. You've got the quadrilateral, right? Which sounds, you may say, it sounds bad or it may sound good. But Wesley did not intend these to be viewed as equal. He viewed scripture to have the, the, prom, the, the, the most authority, the place of prominence, and the other things suspend from it. Now, that sounds good in theory, but in practice, many people have taken the Wesleyan quadrilateral and used it to justify many, what we would say, very unbiblical ideas. Let me give you, I believe, two examples I have here. All right, you ready? The Wesleyan quadrilateral has been used to endorse same-sex marriage in the Bible and homosex in the Bible and homosexuality and same-sex marriage, where the latter says, as I understand this quadrilateral, Christians have four sources in any search of standards and making decisions. Number one, the Bible. Number two, tradition, including but not limited to the tradition of the church. Number three, reason by, by which is meant science and the best of human rationality applied to the problem. And number four, personal experience. He then states that the Bible gives us almost no direct guidance in the issue of same-sex marriage and proceeds to justify it on the basis of reason and experience. So you've got some books out there on the Bible and homosexuality and same-sex marriage that uses the Wesleyan quadrilateral to justify these things because they see them as equal. The Bible, tradition, reason, and experience are seen as equal. That's not what was intended. So the theoretical concept is not always applied like the theoretical concept was originally defined because people just say, oh, four things, they have to be equal. So if they're equal, we could see where that could lead to some problems. If they're not equal, would this work? I'm asking you. I'm asking you. There's another example. It has been used to endorse the role of women elders and pastors in, uh, in changing female religious leadership in Christianity, where it is stated that the Methodist quadrilateral uses reason or rationality, critical perspective when it thinks about the scripture and the traditions. In many cases, female leadership has been restricted by biblical and cultural restrictions, but the authority of experience has transformed the gender boundaries of religious leadership through American Methodist history. So there you go. They, they see they see them almost as they 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 see them almost as equal, but ultimately what happens is I think is they make whichever one they make I think typically what happens is you have these four sources and people pick the source that seems to go with the direction they want to go and they make that source the authoritative one because there they're like hey our uh, authority of experience has transformed the gender boundaries that that's the argument used for making women pastors and elders because uh, the authority of experience has transformed the gender boundaries. So that's the Wesleyan quadrilateral being used, in a sense, to go against Bible. So, so authority almost gets lifted above the scriptures. Now, they would say, no, 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 we never do that. But, th but these almost get viewed as equal. So 
you can't necessarily blame the Wesleyan quadrilateral. You may have to blame the misappropriation and misuse of the Wesleyan quadrilateral. But even if there was never anything called the Wesleyan quadrilateral, we, I think we use more than just scripture in many times to come to our conclusions. Let me give you an example of how this works for me. All right, I'll just give you an example. And it's just weird that the Azusa Street and the Charismatics would borrow from this because I would think that using the, using the Wesleyan quadrilateral, I would immediately throw out all of charismatic history. I would throw out everything. I would throw out all charismatic theology just based off the Wesleyan quadrilateral. I think I, I would think it would be like, how, how can you hold to the theology of Azusa Street? How can you hold to the theology of the charismatic movement using, using the Wesleyan quadrilateral? Let me give you an example. All right. We take the Bible. All right. Where the Bible constantly tells us that scripture is what we turn to, right? All scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be thoroughly furnished unto every good work. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. I mean, scripture, 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 scripture. Memorize it as a newborn babe, desire it. Just scripture is elevated and elevated and elevated and elevated, elevated. Well, in the charismatic world, they claim that God is still giving all kinds of special revelations. He's talking to people all over the place. In many cases, he's talking to basically everyone, even though people are receiving different messages. Well, if God is speaking to everyone pretty much 24 hours a day, seven days a week, that destroys the authority of the Bible in any way, shape, or form. So why would Scripture even be a part of therefore? Because they've almost destroyed the authority of Scripture because everyone is hearing God speak to them directly. That destroys the authority of Scripture. Right Now, just go with reason. If God is supposedly speaking to everyone all the time, then why isn't there complete, perfect doctrinal unity within the body of Christ? God is speaking to everyone. Here's what you believe about baptism. Here's what you believe about the Lord's Supper. Well, God obviously is not speaking to everyone, so just just reason would a reason and experience would start throwing this out not only that scripture itself never shows god speaking to everyone but only to selected people so then you would have to only have selected people that god speaks to and then they tell everyone else so then you basically create like a pope so so scripture reason and experience would begin to call into great question well charismatics just on their doctrine that god is continuing to give revelation they claim that uh, God is doing divine healing all the time, you know, raising people from the dead, this, 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 this. Well, they've yet to produce God, uh, you know, restoring an arm that has been cut off or a leg. That, why, 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 can't you, why can't you produce that? Uh, too many times they've been shown to be frauds, herit- uh, frauds, liars, schemers. It's too many exposés showing that people are not actually healed and that it's fraudulent. So therefore, reason and experience would call into question. So I could just go, I could, I could use the quadrilateral it, to me to call into question so much of charismatic theology. I, I could just go on and on and on and on and on and on and on about their healings, the divine revelation, all the things that they claim. But they hold to the, they held to the quadrilateral and somehow, 
uh, somehow they were still able to maintain their charismatic theology and would argue that scripture, tradition, reason, and experience actually proved their conclusions, which demonstrates once again that I don't think, I don't think that in many cases, I'm just going to say this, I don't think in many cases it's scripture alone. I don't think in many cases it's scripture, tradition, reason, or experience. I don't. I think there's people who say, no, it's scripture alone, when it's really not scripture alone in how they come to their conclusions. You know how do they come to their conclusions? What they want, what they desire, what they think. They're the final authority, not scripture. And those who held to the Wesleyan quadrilateral, I think the quadrilateral could be used to destroy pretty much everything that came out of Azusa Street. But they'd be like, nope, it supports it. So guess what? It's not really the quadrilateral. It's not scripture, tradition, reason, and experience. Guess what it is? It's self. It's self. I think it's not a quadrilateral. It's just individuals making up their minds about what they believe and declaring it to be true. But could this be useful? Well, I got, I, I think we should look to scripture. You know what? I think we should look to see the, the tradition of how the church throughout 2,000 years of church history has interpreted a doctrine or a passage of scripture. We should look to it. Now, that tradition is not authoritative, but we should look to it. To ignore it is foolishness. Reason. Reason is going to have to be involved in some way. Our thinking, reason, logic, I think it's going to have to be involved in some way, shape, or form, right? Right? And then experience. But I just think a lot of people who say that that experience should be there never actually follows it, right? I mean, people who believe that, you know, uh, and the eradication of the old nature. Well, experience shows people clearly continue to keep sinning. People who claim that we have the power of God to, to stop sinning, but yet all Christians continue sinning, would call into question God, the presence of God's power. I could go on that baptism supposedly regenerates a baby. Well, I think there would be no evidence of that. We could go on and on and on. So everyone says experience. Some people say experience should never be used, but then everyone will use experience in some way, shape, or form. But many people, even when experience would call into question their theological conclusions, they will just ignore their theological conclusions and go with themselves. I think the Wesleyan quadrilateral offers some interesting things that we should consider, but it should be Scripture and Scripture alone that's the final authority. Um, they go on to say this, Scripture uh, methodology. Scripture refers to the, uh, to the inspired and sufficient written Word of God, the 66 canonical books of the Bible, upon the foundation church traditions are adopted, with, uh, which agree with the biblical text, and those which are inconsistent are disregarded. So that's how it's supposed to work, right? So the Bible is the sufficient inspired word of God. And, and so when it comes to tradition, we should, we should learn from anything that agrees with the biblical text, but dis, that dis, discard anything that's inconsistent with it. I, I think we look to tradition just to see what, I, I think we just look to tradition, not really to say whether they agree with the Bible or disagree with the Bible. We look to tradition just to see what did the church do with the Bible? What did they do with the Bible on this particular doctrine? Oh, that's interesting. We don't have to agree. We don't have to disagree. We just want to know how the church throughout time has looked at something. Because if you say, you just see the slippery slope here. 
Hey, I will look at tradition whenever it agrees with the biblical text. Okay, now look how this works. <laughs> if you believe in infant baptism and you believe the Bible teaches it, then you look in church history and go, well, they, there's an example of them believing in infant baptism. Therefore, they're right. So we'll go with church tradition. But if you look back, if you believe in infant baptism and find something in the past that would call into question infant baptism, you're like, nope, we don't have to go with that. That's just tradition. So sometimes I don't think we actually look to tradition to learn anything. We look to tradition to find things which already agree with our conclusion. We just look to tradition to bolster our conclusion instead of like, I think what we should do when it comes to tradition is we look back and don't worry about what we believe. Just find out what they believe as honestly and say, that's what they did. And we don't have to, it does, and we don't, we shouldn't be tempted to manipulate what they believe to somehow fit our agenda. We should just go back and say, that's what they believe. That's interesting. And we don't have to agree with it or disagree with it. But I think a lot of times, it, it just when you say, well, I'm going to go back and look into church history and what, what agrees with the Bible, I'm going to keep and what disagrees with the Bible, I'm going to throw out. But what you're really saying is, I'm going to look back into church history and anything that agrees with my interpretation of the Bible, I'm going to keep. So really, church history becomes nothing more than you looking for, for to, to support what you already believe. And I don't think we should do that. We should just look back and find what's there and deal with it. So you have their scripture, there's tradition. Reason is received as a, as a gift intrinsic to the image of God. So basically you're saying because we're creating the image of God, therefore we have reason and it's a gift and we should use reason. We should, but what happens when human reason, in other words, our, our reason would have to be subjected to the word of God because human reason would throw out a lot of things from the Bible, would it not? You see how slippery slope this could get? Reason would say, a talking snake, uh, I'm not so sure. People raising from the dead, I don't know, global flood, I don't know, parting of the Red Sea. Yeah, see, um, yeah, I, I don't, that, that one could lead to a slippery slope. And then, um, human beings are prepared to experience the reality of God's love. That, that's the next way he describes it. So we should experience God's love. So there you have it. The Wesleyan quadrilateral, How, what they use to come to theological conclusions. What, what do you think of this? As you, you see that, that they could be useful, but you see that they could be greatly abused. Because I mean, I'm, let me just state it again. My thesis is you, could, you can reduce this to just scripture alone. You can place the quadrilateral. You could bring in six, seven, eight, nine, ten. You, you could develop whatever system you develop. When it comes down to it over and over and over, we just rely on our own conclusions and our own thoughts. There you go. That's, I think that's what we have to just, we have to just, I think we have to be honest about our involvement in coming to theological conclusions and how much we are putting our hand on the scale, tipping the scale when we, it's us our actions, our feelings, our thoughts, us, 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 us. I just wanted to introduce this today. I did not want to come to any definitive conclusions, but I wanted you to be aware of the Wesleyan quadrilateral. And I wanted you to just question yourself. How do you come to theological conclusions? All right. Well, we'll just leave it there for now. We will definitely talk about it more at a later time, but I wanted to introduce it today while 
all of the information was still fresh in my mind from listening to that lecture. And uh, you can tell me what you think about it. All right, you can email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. I know that's kind of like a, well, that's kind of an abrupt ending, but I just like, I just wanted to just set the table and then just walk away. And then you can dig in and see what you think. All right. All right. Email me newsif at yahoo.com. Everyone have a great day. God bless.